You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And for those of you listening to us live and on the air right now, I want to wish everybody a happy 4th of July. And what we are doing today is a little different than usual. Um, I sat down with a friend of mine, Max from the Bronx, to talk about Max's journey in and out of faith. Um, I believe this is this is a very interesting topic, and I think it's something that is it's fascinating to be able to hear people's personal stories. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and listen to my talk that I had with Max. Thanks so much. Well, I'm sitting here today talking with my friend Max from the Bronx, and what I want this to look like uh, for this next while as we're talking is we're really just going to lay out a conversation here. Uh, Max has a very interesting past. And we just want to kind of delve into his story. We want to kind of get a little deeper into his story because I think that uh, for our listeners here today, that Max has a story that's worth telling. So welcome here, Max. Hey there, Stuart. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Max. So I I want to begin to frame this whole conversation that we have here really centered around this. And so tell me if I'm getting this right, and then we'll dig into your story. Um, you were raised in an Orthodox community, is that correct? An Orthodox yeah, Jewish uh, community. An Orthodox Jewish community uh, called Riverdale in uh, the south section of the Bronx in Manhattan. And so you've had, through your life, you've kind of had a journey of belief, of disbelief, of belief, and then back again to disbelief. Is that fair to say? That, that is the perfect flow, exactly that, Yeah. <laughs> So tell me about this. So, because I, I find I find your story fascinating, and I know I've had the benefit of being able to hear snippets of your story um, offline. But you grew up in a Orthodox Jewish community. Now, before we even get to your story, tell us a little about your parents and how they ended up there. Right. Um, <clears throat> so. My parents were born in in Riverdale. Um, Riverdale is, like I said before, uh, south part of the Bronx, um, not that far from Yankee Stadium, actually, um, but a, a small, you know, upper upper class enclave um, in the uh, you know quite frighteningly known area of the South Bronx. Um, they had been they were born there, and their parents uh, moved there in the early 20th century, um, actually in, in in an attempt to escape the. Uh, the, the mass killings in Russia. Um, my grandparents were born in Khosk and Vilna, um, and when the pogroms were happening there, they you know felt as though they needed to escape, obviously. Um, so uh, they took uh, ships to uh, Hamburg and to Berlin. Uh, one of them was actually called the Blucher, where they uh, met uh, quite a few other Jewish families, and they all landed in uh, Riverdale. Um, and they worked in Harlem, they worked in Brooklyn, and they you know found a little community in Riverdale where they felt accepted. Um, because, you know, yes, they, they lived in a Jewish community and in their Russian, you know, farms. Um, but, you know, during that time you had the, uh, the, the, the czarist Russians, uh, and the imperialists come and, and, and murder all their family and, and all their, you know, friends. So, uh, they landed up in Riverdale 
uh, made a life there and my parents were born there and I was born there too. And hopefully my children will be born there as well. Really? So, so you're, you see yourself eventually going back. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, I always say that I, New York is, is my home in my heart and Riverdale is where my soul is. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it is, although I don't believe in a soul, it, you know, metaphorically, it is one of the most amazing places that I, that I can, you know, even conceptualize. Hmm. And so we'll get more to where you're at now a little bit later in the interview. Um, so begin to tell us about your journey in and out of faith. So you are born into this Orthodox community. And yeah. Yeah. And talk about like, what, what was it like growing up in that area? Mm-hmm. So um, being born in, in Riverdale, um, it, you know, it, it felt very accepting. Um, I had almost all of my other friends were, were, were Jewish. Um, most of them were, were Orthodox. I'd say maybe 30% of them were conservative and maybe 10% of them were reform. Um, the, you know, the community was so insular that they didn't really want you to interact with people that weren't Jewish. Um, so we'd, you know, go to, to Brooklyn and stay in Borough Park and go to Queens and go to Flushing and really interact with our own kind. Um, so because of that, that, that's really where I started to feel when I was you know, turning eight or nine years old, feeling a little, you know, excluded from the, the general populace as, as a way of speaking. Um, I went to Hebrew school uh, two times a week, uh, learned Hebrew and studied Hebrew with, you know, what they called our big brothers, uh, the rabbis that uh, you know, scrutinized all of our work and, and, you know, made us sure that we could read Hebrew appropriately and speak in front of people. Um, but the, the, the main factor in my uh, staunch religiosity was the fact that my family uh, are what Jews call uh, Kohanim. And Kohanim are a supposed group of people that are descendants from the brother of Moses, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, and going you know, back centuries, uh, I actually got my, my DNA uh, tested a few weeks ago, confirming the presence of the Kohen gene in my DNA. So that's interesting to note. Um, but uh, what, what, a, what a Kohanim is, is they're descendants of Aaron, and they are the priests of their communities. Mm-hmm. They are the ones that speak... Uh, God's commandments and God's prayers to the other community members. And they're supposed to be vessels and vehicles for the actual voice of God, especially on the high holidays. So I was born, um, one, uh, as, as a Kohanim, uh, and, and two, as, as, as a, you know, a, a New Yorker or, or an American. Uh, so it was a massive part of my identity and a massive part of my upbringing to ensure that everyone knew I was a Kohanim you know, whenever I would enter synagogue, people would, you know, bow down and ask me, you know, to to put my hands on their heads and I would pray for them and, you know, give them the, the Kohanim blessing that was entrusted upon me for 3,000, 4,000 years. Uh, so it was a massive part of my upbringing, my identity, my livelihood, uh, my activities, uh, every single thing that, that I did, Judaism and my belief in God, it intersected. Hmm. So w- when you talk about this, so for those of of, of our listeners that may not completely understand, can you kind of give us a breakdown of, of what it looks like to be raised ultra-Orthodox, Orthodox, or fairly, I don't, I'm not even sure what the right term would be, but uh, average <laughs> Jewish? <or> what is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, of course. I don't know. So, so um, being raised ultra-Orthodox is, uh, or, or from, as uh, F-R-U-M, as you know, in Hebrew, um, is... One, 
that you know most Americans see. You you see them in all black. You see it seat seat or or those white um, uh, little fringes. Mm-hmm. You know, hang hanging from their black coats. You see the payas, which is you know their long curly hair on on their sideburns. Um, the physicality of them is is very stark. Um, from a a societal level, the the men and women they don't interact if they're not really married. Uh, men and women do not touch. It's, you know, you, you think of Amish, mm-hmm. and you attribute a belief in the Abrahamic religion of Judaism to that, and you have Orthodox Judaism really. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, they don't don't use electricity on Fridays evenings and Saturdays. They only you know keep kosher. Um, they stay connected to their roots when it comes to their community, to their Judaism. They really don't uh, engage in anything that would be seen as you know Western media. Um, they, they 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 obviously don't digest you know pornography and you know uh, graphic imagery when it comes to television or movies or video games. Uh, they, they they take a very early 20th century look and lens that life and embrace that. And then they see how that intersects with their belief in God and, you know, make that their, uh, their way of living. Mm. So that is the, you know, mainstream from Orthodox uh, community. You have a much larger proportion of Jews being you know, conservative or reform. Um, those that don't keep kosher and can actually eat out at restaurants, um, and, you know, hold hands with the opposite sex and they have, they have dating and they don't have arranged marriages like some, you know, Orthodox communities do, um, a, a much more liberal Western take or, you know, liberal Eastern European take uh, for that matter, um, of Judaism. But it, the, the, the best comparison I can make is you think of Amish that use a little bit of electricity some days of the week. And added adds a Jewish kind of spice to it, and you get you know, ultra orthodox. <laughs> and so, how how is it? So you're you're describing ultra orthodox. So the step down to being orthodox, what's mm-hmm. the difference? Well, um, I think the step down is fulfilling um, less uh, mitzvot, which are you know the commandments that you know God or Hashem has you know provided the. Uh, the, the, the Jewish people, um, things like uh, interacting with the opposite sex or uh, actually engaging with non-Jews mm. or, uh, you know, being a little more lax on the, the religious aspects that, you know, maybe they don't go to synagogue as much. Um, obviously, they go to synagogue every day, but maybe they don't, you know, spend six hours in the synagogue. Uh, you know, maybe they spend two hours and they go to Minions for, you know, 15 minutes instead of three hours. Uh Call it orthodox light in a way. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were mentioning, and and I'm going to go ahead and just apologize in advance if I'm pronouncing this wrong. You were saying that you were the Kohalim? Kohanim. Kohanim. Okay. Yeah. So being growing up knowing that that is your identity, mm-hmm. how heavy or burdensome is that on a kid? Well, it... it it was burdensome in the sense that um, I felt a a need to believe in God, um, an innate need, a community based need, and a societal need. Um, not burdensome, you know, when it comes to the fact that all of my family are also Kohanim because we're related. My, my brothers are Kohanim, my fathers are Kohanim. There were a few other Kohanims in our uh, communities, in, in in Riverdale for that matter. Um, but it it felt burdensome in the sense that. 
I have a duty to preserve this religion and I have a duty to make sure that everyone else knows what I'm talking about. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I had to do much more religious study than everybody else. All of my friends in Hebrew school, for that matter, had to make sure that I got, you know, better grades than everybody. And I had to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I knew the appropriate prayers and when to say them in the, you know, positions to put my hand and, and, and my head and my, you know, fingertips, you know, for the listeners that, that don't know this, um, Leonard Nimoy was a, was a Kohanim, I believe. And he created the, uh, live long and prosper, um, hand, you hold your hand, you make that V for the Vulcan sign. That is actually the sign that Kohanim make uh, when they say their prayer. So Interesting. The, the, the V is the window at which, you know, uh, God or Hashem speaks through. Um, so it's, it, that made me feel a little more connected to society at large, but I did feel a little, you know, secluded and a little, and, and like there was a lot on my shoulders. Um, I thought I had to be a rabbi when I was younger and I was told I was a Kohanim. Oh God, you got to be a rabbi. Great. That's going to be really interesting. Um, but uh, it, it, it's, it's still a wait, you know, even now, you know, when, when I go and I go to synagogue now and obviously people don't know my religious beliefs that much. They think I'm just a regular old, you know, Jew. Um, I go to synagogue now, and people look at me. They go, "Oh wow, you're a kohanim, or shkoyach. We gotta, we gotta give, you know, give you a handshake. We gotta get down on our knees, and we gotta thank you and ask, you know, ask for you to, uh, to give us the prayers." Last time I was in, you know, Israel, I'm walking in the streets, and people notice I'm kohanim through conversation, and they just stop. And you, you have to act a certain way. You, you can't, you know, degrade your family in a way. It's like a noble. A noble uh, family from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, I, I want to continue to kind of give a little window into this to 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 the folks that are listening. And how is it that people know your status? You know, whether as a child or even you were talking about when you're you know walking down the streets, you know, in Israel. Like, like how how do how do people know he's the dude? So. Very good question. My last name um, in Hebrew is Kohen Sadak. Uh, so that actually means, you know, the, the high priest. Mm. So the direct translation of my name is passed down for, I don't know how many centuries, actually means Kohen. Mm. So um, uh, it's, it's on, the, on the one hand, my family, at least my father's side of the family, have, have wanted to have that name and be part of their identity, their innate religious identity. So they turned it into their, you know, their last name, I don't know, a thousand years ago or something. Um, so that's mainly why people know I'm a Kohen. Mm. It's Kohen Sadak, which means the high priest or the son, the great son of Aaron, um, the brother of Moses. So I've got a question for you that's totally off topic um, that you made me think of as, as, as through this conversation. I, I recall back um, this is back, and this is going to tell everybody how old I am. So I was, I was working for a film production company back in 1999, and mm. uh, and I was at Sun uh, Sunday the Sundance Film Festival back before it was a thing. And, oh yeah. And so yes, so I was essentially a grunt uh, for our producer director that was there, and <laughs> so I'm I'm like a good lord, I may have been like a 20 year old that's getting drug around Park City, Utah. But the one thing that I that stuck with me was that, you know, we would go to different parties with uh, producers or for production of companies, and I would have people come up to me and, and ask me just casually, hey, are you Jewish? 
<laughs> they literally would. And I would be mm-hmm. like, no, no, I'm sorry. And they'd be like, okay. And they'd leave. Like that was, it was like, it, that was the opening and ending part of the entire conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and is, 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 and I don't really know what I'm asking for this, but you know, when you were mentioning about how people would know who you were, they would know your status. Um, does status matter a lot? Like, I, I guess when we're beginning to talk about the Jewish community. Status within the Jewish community um, for uh, congregations mm-hmm. doesn't mean that much. Okay. Status outside of it is critical, I think, to the Jewish identity. Um, you know, Jews get incredibly excited and overwhelmed with emotion when they realize that uh, a large percentage of Nobel, you know, laureates and 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 millionaires and people within media and people that have wealth and power in America and you know in Europe are Jewish. So com- comparing this community of people that have been beat down and exterminated and murdered and 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 buried um, means a lot for them to to have status when comparing it to non-Jews. Um, so you do have a little bit of prejudice, you know, that comes with that. Um, but when it comes to the actual communities themselves, when you're just talking about the insular communities, mm-hmm. not really. Um, obviously, in in I've been in you know half a dozen congregations in my life, and obviously you have people look up at the president of the congregation with great you know, status. They look at the rabbis and they, they hang on to every single word they say. Um, but all the congregants, you know, really, there you you walk into a synagogue and you're all Jews. You're all family members. You're literally all related. Mm-hmm. You know, it's literally like the people that uh, I see at synagogue now, even in the south, uh, they're my cousins. Like. Genetically, like we share like three percent of my of our DNA. It's crazy. Mm. That and that's one thing that I, I know I've talked about in the show before, and it was something that that impacted me very deeply when I was going through seminary, and being able to understand the the rhythms of synagogue, because especially when we come to Christianity in America, uh, Christianity is very divisive. Um, Meaning, and I, it, well, it's divisive in many ways, <laughs> but it's divisive also in the fact that we see that there are however many hundreds of denominations out there, you know, how many, you know, uh, other types of spinoffs from denominations. Mm-hmm. And the way Christianity views things are you're either part of our small tribe, and if you don't believe X, Y, and Z, you're not part of this small tribe, even though you may still say that you're Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been something that, that, that really has hit me about how divisive Christianity has become. Whereas I know when I was studying um, really this, the, the rabbinical tradition, you know, that, that the tradition wasn't simply about that we all agree on everything. Um, it, it came down to the fact of one rabbi may disagree with another rabbi and they can argue it out. And they still may walk away from that and be in different positions, but they're still part of the same family. Yeah, it's it's you know, talking about arguments within within Judaism. Um, one of the main things that uh, the majority of large denominations like the Orthodox and the Ultra-Orthodox and the Hasidic and the conservative denominations agree on is if your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish. Nothing about it. And if your mother's Jewish, then you're family. Mm-hmm. Um, now you have reform, uh, individuals and, and congregations and communities that say, well, if your mother's not Jewish, but your father's Jewish, we'll still accept you as a full fledged Jew. Mm-hmm. But, um, halakhically, 
which is, you know, the Hebrew word for uh, lawfully or, or based on, you know, Torah or, or Hebrew law. You, if you're, To be Jewish is to have a Jewish mother and to be born from Jewish blood. Um, but uh, going back a little bit to, to, to what you said about, um, you know, if you have two you know, rabbis uh, having an argument about some something in, in rabbinical literature, mm-hmm. um, one of the main things about Judaism that, that fascinated me and made me accept it a little bit more um, as a teenager was, is I believe one of the real only monotheistic religions that embraces critique. They say, let's think about, uh, let's think about what we're saying. Let's look at it through different lenses and and actually question. Let's question God. You know, there are stories of of you know women in Judaism screaming at God and 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 speaking to God as though they're higher than Him. It's 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 a it's a it's a religion of questioning, of critical thinking, of 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 high deep self reflection and intellectual thinking. Yeah. Um, which is why they stress education so much. You know, in, you know, they instill it in their children through Hebrew school, you know, through uh, through Sunday school, through uh, rabbinical literature and, and and teaching, all the way until you know they're they're eighteen years old. Um, so it's it's that's what drew me to uh, to embrace it a little more when I was having doubts. Um, but but no, but I, I I would say that that's. That is such a beautiful thread that runs through Judaism, meaning that that we don't have to agree. And like you had mm-hmm. said, that, that that question and critique are almost at the core. It it um, literally it literally is. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but one of my favorite quotes um, that I read and seen almost every single Haggadah or or you know Jewish Bible um, or Torah that I pick up is this quote that. A lot of Jews embrace, and it's it, it goes something like, "The atheist that is in his attic, staring out the window, is closer to God than those that believe in Him." Hmm. And it it's it's this long-standing, centuries-old belief that it's okay to question, it's okay to to think critically, it's okay to to de- to deny what you think is wrong. And, and think for yourself. It's one of the main tenets of Judaism to critique and never stop critiquing, mm. um, which I, I think is fantastic and you know helps mold really intelligent young minds. No, I would I would agree with that because I think that there's there's a certain danger in well not just in religion when it comes to groupthink. I think there's a danger in humanity when we falter and and lean into groupthink, meaning that. You know, that if you don't agree with 100% of what we're saying here, you must leave. And, and I love how you're describing this. I love how you're describing that there's a kinship, meaning that, that, that there's this kinship that you really can't shake. You know, that regardless mm-hmm. of what you believe or where you're at or where your belief system is at, you are still family. And, and, Very and, much so. And, and I think that, that that is a central tenet that has been lost in Christianity, meaning the fact that if you look globally at at Christianity um, outside of like the Western world, you begin to see a very simple belief system. Um, if if you look towards like the uh, like South American or the African or the uh, like the Chinese Christians, like what unites them, they would say, "Do you believe in Jesus?" Yes then we are, we are, we are mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you look at the kind of Western European or American Christianity, 
we're so divided. We're so at a spot where we're willing to throw somebody out at, at the drop of a hat. And well, I, I don't mean to say that Judaism doesn't have that as well. You know, Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox communities, uh, from communities, Hasidic communities, they're just like that, if not even worse. Mm. Um, if you question, uh, you know, the belief in God, if you question whether or not men and women should be able to touch or have premarital relations, you're not going to be accepted and you're going to be told to shut up and sit down. And it, the, those types of communities that are much strong, that have, that have those beliefs much strongly held, stronger held mm-hmm. um, in their communities that keep their communities together and keep them, you know, a, a in the ghettos, just, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very strong and very damaging and very prejudiced and extremely racist. Um, so it, it's not to say that, that those types of communities, you know, don't have something very similar in common to uh, to what Christianity is like um, in America, I'd say, you know, even worse sometimes. You have people in Borough Park that don't allow... I watched a video the other day of these Borough Park men beating up on a Hispanic man riding through a bicycle through their community because he wasn't Jewish, mm. not allowing him be there, you know? Like them you know, yelling at, uh, at African-Americans and Asian and Asian individuals, even white men that they know that obviously aren't Jewish um, and not accepting them in the community and... and really not being accepting even to those Jews that yes, do have Jewish mothers, but may not accept, you know, their, their, you know, perspectives or thoughts on a particular topic. It can be extremely uh, divisive. Um, when I'm talking about this, this idea of critiquing Judaism, I'm really talking about what I identify really now, um, with, which is the conservative movement, um, and, and the, and the modern Orthodox movement. Hmm. Well, way to completely ruin my grasses <laughs> on the other side perspective, <laughs> Max. No, no, I, but I do. I, I, pre- I appreciate that honesty. And I, and I think that, that that whole tendency towards tribalism is, is more of a human problem mm. than it is than a specific religious problem. Yeah, I think that we, that we find ourselves wanting to figure out who's in and who's out uh, because especially for those of us that are declaring who's in, uh, we always make sure that we're in and that whoever's not like us is out. So it's, it, it is a position of power. But what I wanted to move into, so so you grew up in this Orthodox community. You had this status. You were in the lineage of Aaron. And when... In still your in the mind. lineage of Aaron. Don't yes, forget. yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm still yes. very proud of it. I have a. Um, have a um, yo, I'm not. I'm not. Well, if it's been said here on the show, you may be out. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, when did the wheels start coming off for you? Like, at what age did you start questioning? Mm. Um, that's that's a very good 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 question. Um, it started. I'd say maybe 10 years old or so mm. um, when I really started thinking about philosophy and I, you know, my father would read to me Freud when I was, you know, younger, he would read to me, you know, Kant and, 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 you know, classical literature and get really deep into, you know, Aristotle and Plato. And I would read these things, you know, as, as a young teenager as well, getting to 11, 12 preteen. Um, and I honestly started thinking about what I believe why I believe it. I was a staunch feminist as, as a child. Um, and I, you know, staunch egalitarian. So I, I really identified as a, someone who 
in 2017, you would say is a really strong liberal, um, you know, in, in the early 2000s. So I started thinking about why I, I feel these things. Why do I feel um, that I have to think critically about things? Why do I feel as though everyone has to be equal? Why do I feel about all of this? And then I got to the the belief in God. Why do I feel about, why do I believe that God exists? And, and, and how did I form that belief? Well, I formed that belief because I grew up in a Orthodox community in Riverdale. Well, why did that happen? Because, you know, my parents did. And they did because their parents did. But what if their parents were born in, I don't know, Ethiopia? Certainly wouldn't be Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started having discussions with my father um, and my uh, and my other you know Jewish friends who had similar you know views, um, and just really started feeling as though, wow, I'm making a special case for my beliefs. Mm-hmm. I accept things, you know, I, I accept things like I believe that all people are, you know, inherently equal. Um, they should have the same rights. They should have the same, you know, ability to, to, to think and not have anyone trample that. Um, and, and I, and I, I take that because I believe there's, there's good evidence for that. But when it comes to a belief in, in the divine or a belief in the supernatural, I just say, oh, I believe it because I was taught to believe it. And I believe it because... It, it's supportive of me emotionally and intellectually. It helps me, you know, thrive. I, I, I pray for something and then I see if, you know, something happens, you know, related to that prayer, I automatically attribute it to me praying, to, you know, for it. Um, and as I got older and more critical and, you know, I got super heavy into science and physics and, and philosophy, and I, you know, I wanted to be a biochemist. Um, so I got really deep into understanding chemistry and, and physics. And I was like, wow, my beliefs of... Judaism and religion don't align don't align with my beliefs as to how the universe and the world works. Mm. Um, I used to think of the 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 old stories of Moses, you know, lifting up the Mount Sinai, or Moses uh, spreading the Red Sea, or a burning bush. And yes, although you know my my parents instilled this you know belief in me that these aren't actual little translations; they're more moral and philosophical translations of the text. Um, you think. Well, then isn't everything, wouldn't everything be a, you know, simplistic way of just saying, be good to one another and, and, and everything is just, it's, it's, it's not real. It's not the truth. Um, so really when I turned 11 or 12, I started thinking about this deeply, um, and then decided, well, I can't make a special case for God and religion anymore because it's, it's not fair to myself intellectually. And how how was having these types of beliefs, um, when you would have these questions, when you would have these doubts, when when your mind was going in so many different directions, uh, like morally, philosophically, how did that gel with the community that you found yourself in, especially with the status that you had in yeah. the community that you found yourself in? Well, um. The, the the community that I found myself in, you know, took me as a Jew because I was, you know, a full fledged Jew. Uh, I, I I never came out to them. Mm-hmm. I have to hide it one because I would lose all my you know friends, all of my connections, um, all of my networking opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I would embarrass my family and my you know, patriarchal line. Um, it, they still don't know that I have the beliefs that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it, it was so concerning to me 
back then to to out myself and say, hey, I don't believe this, you know, right to to the rabbis. I'm sure if I did it now, they, they would you know keep quiet. Um, but if I did it then, it would be it would be traumatic for everybody, um, just because of the status and, and the, everyone knowing my family. Um, it 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 was it was this push and pull and this tug against. Well, I need to be truthful to myself, and that means being truthful to everyone that I know. Mm-hmm. But if I do that, then I'm not going to know anybody anymore. You know, even today when I say I'm oh I'm an atheist um, or I'm a secular Jew, my parents say no, you're not. Come on, you're you're a Jew. You believe in God. Well, I don't, but they still don't accept it. Well, on on those lines of you, because 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 in the conversations that we've had before, you've kind of talked about this. You've had a journey of belief, of disbelief, of belief, mm-hmm. back to disbelief. So, so we've kind of as we're unpacking your story here, we've kind of gone through your belief. We've we've now stepped into your disbelief. And what moved you back again towards belief? Yeah, um, what moved me back was a, a, a combination of, of factors. One, a desire to be more involved with the Jewish community, mm-hmm. which then you know reaffirmed and, and, and reignited this flame of, of Jewish feeling in me. Um, that made me actually feel connected to what I thought was God. Um, it, uh, I, I had a troubled childhood because what, what drew me away from belief, I'd say, is, is uh, the failing health of my parents. Um, I, I was like, wow, you know, my, my mother has a severe case of diabetes and she would have, you know, seizures quite often and she'd be very sick and my father, you know, would have heart issues and be sick. Um, and my brother you know, has you know, severe autism, so I had so many different physical and emotional problems as a child. I was like, wow, all this is happening, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm wishing um, for for something you know, to, to come out of this well, um, and nothing was. So it pushed me away from this, wow, it's, it's this is not how the world is supposed to work. If there was a God, then he or, or it would be fixing this. Um, and then... I lost my belief in God and then things started to get a little better. And I was like, wow, maybe, maybe God does exist. I was, you know, pressured by my family to go to more synagogue, uh, to, to engage with the community more, to really try to feel this through and, and, and try once more. Um, so that briefly brought back my, my belief in God. Um, although it was a very strong belief that second time around, it was very brief. And what, what stole that belief? away from you again or you know what what events happened because again like you know you're kind of on this and 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 this is a very common thing for so many people you know where you're kind of in there's an ebb and a flow towards uh towards going through these things Mm -hmm. and and as you're speaking here you know in your story you're talking about how you know you'd lost something and then you regained it and then what you know what was it and it's probably not just one thing you know, that, that led you back to where you are now? I, I, I really don't know. Um, I guess just reading, reading, um, you know, I, I got very deep into, uh, you know, internet communities for people that are, you know, closeted atheists, um, and, and, and reading their rationalizations for their lack of belief, 
um, reading, you know, texts uh, from, you know, renowned scholars and essayists um, as, as to why they rationalize their lack of belief mm-hmm. and really coming to my own conclusions about what I think of the world. It's, it's, it's the exact flow that I had when I was 12 and 13, but just reignited again with this, this interest into critical thinking um, and to uh, trying to understand well, why do I believe it? I obviously want to know the most true things that I can possible. Um, so I need to make sure that that I do that when it comes to my belief in God and my belief in religion. Um, so it, it, I just fell after like a few months of this real strong belief in God again um, into a serious, serious uh, lack of belief uh, that I still hold today. Mm. And you'd mentioned this, and and I want I want to see if you can help me because this is something that that I wrestle through as well. Um, and you you'd mentioned this in your last statement. You talk about your you said your your belief in God, and also your belief in religion. Do you see those as one and the same, or are they two separate things? Well, I I, I think religion can have uh, massive benefits societally, community-wise. Um, I I see how it benefited me. I see how it benefits, you know, millions of other people. Um, I understand the effectiveness of prayer when it comes to you know, the psychological well-being of people. Um, my belief in religion is that I understand why it occurs, and I understand why people believe that, that they do. Um Completely, I, I, it's, it's not that I disbelieve religion because you can't. Religion is, is, is a thing that obviously exists. Um, then there's evidence for it existing because people believe it. <laughs> but when it comes to the belief in God, it's, it's, it's a totally different thing. It's this, this abstract concept that everyone disagrees on that because there's no evidence for, like there is evidence for religion, for, for religion I can't come to accept the, uh, the notion that it does exist. Mm. And is there something, because I know that, you know, I, and I really appreciate your story. I appreciate you sharing your story because I think your story speaks to so many people, um, probably within the Jewish community and and in other religious communities as well, too. And as as you have seen yourself, and this at least, maybe I'm putting this in my own words, and you can correct me if you want to, but it seems that you have been a person that is seeking truth in life. Would that be correct? Um, seeking as much truth as, as I can. I don't believe there is some ultimate truth or there is some ultimate meaning in life, but trying to believe as many true things as I can, I think will give me, will lead me to, to lead the most fulfilling, fulfilling life that I can. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely. So do you think in, in, in your journey, would there be something that it could occur to you that would be one of those, you know, bright light moments, right? You know, where you, you've been seeking truth, you've been seeking, like, how does this connect in the world that, that you're in? How does this make sense in your perspective? Is there something that could happen that would push you to that place where you were able to say, oh my gosh, yes, there definitely is a God. If I were given firsthand, you know, evidence or experience with some divine almighty, yeah, I'm completely open to it. Um, I'm not going to take, you know, 
gospels written 300 after the year 300 years after you know uh the the death of christ to be evidence for i'm not going to be you know a secondhand experience from people that say that they've experienced god yeah you have other people saying they experienced aliens but other people don't you know accept that as 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 evidence for the, the belief or for their belief in god um if god had appeared to me and i knew i was you know of sound mind then yeah, of course I would, of course I would believe. I wouldn't necessarily be happy, but I would believe nonetheless. Mm. And, and I, lo- I loved how you were laying that out because I, I think this is, this is, this is a common thing. I think what's well, a common thing for any of us that would declare ourselves human, which would be hopefully most people that are listening to this podcast and radio show right now. Um, when, when you begin to think about that, because this is something I've, I've actually struggled with a lot is, um, you know, you'd mentioned if you had a personal experience with the divine, right? And so if you had that personal experience, that would help you to solidify what you believe. And when we begin to look across the religious spectrum in America, whether it be Christian, Jewish, Muslim, you could say Mormon, and fill in the blanks for all the other myriads that, of belief systems and uh, and thought processes that are out there. So when you think about that, how, how do you handle um, someone having a personal experience that you have not had, but that person believing in that personal experience so much? Like, how do you weigh that out? It's a it's a really good question. Um, when I mean personal experience, I really mean one that can be verified by you know third parties too. Um, if I you know saw some divine being right in front of me right now as, as I'm talking to you, um, I think I was crazy. Um, mm-hmm. If you had a dozen other people say, "Hey, I see this in front of you too," then I'd be like, "Wow, this may actually be occurring." Um, I, I I don't mean to say that well people that you know say they have first experiences with with God have a rational reason to believe, um, because I, I I didn't mean it like that I, I mean it more like if you have an individual that can have other individuals kind of verify that they experience something, um, then it it, may, it makes sense to call that a rational belief. Mm-hmm. Um, one that's that you know, that's not just verified by by the individual themselves. No, that's good. I think that I think that's I think that's a very measured answer, um, and a very well thought out one in that. And one of the things I wanted to kind of divert in our conversation to was to kind of pick your brain on a few things. Are you up for having your brain picked? Yeah. I haven't had brain surgery in quite a long time, so <laughs> let's let's get to this now. I'm not a licensed uh brain surgeon so uh the the results may vary so just be <laughs> okay. ready. um no okay. but um you have you know you've grown up in a country that likes to claim that it is a christian nation mm-hmm. and 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 with that i'm pretty sure at different moments in your life you've had christianity pushed on you would that be a correct assumption? oh oh for sure oh okay. yeah to this day. And and so when you say wait wait when you say to this day do you do you mean that 
that's happening right now on the it's show. Happening right, it's happening right now. Oh man, our our thinly <laughs> veiled evangelistic. Uh, after, no, no. <laughs> hey, if right. you can convince me, I'd be happy. No, that's not the point. That's not the point of what we're doing here. Uh, but but within all of that, um, you have seen people preach and make claims from the Bible. And I know with most of your schooling um, has been focused what we uh, Christians would call the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Um, What are American Christians getting wrong when they read these texts? Because one, one thing I've noticed, and it's one thing that's always bothered me, about American Christianity is the fact that we read our American lenses and our American values into these ancient texts. These ancient texts that have been translated from a language that most of us do not understand. And and there's so much problem within that, within that, you know, contextualization that we like to do. Mm. So, you know, in 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 your best way, uh, when you see Christians, especially, and you can speak to the New Testament if you feel like it, um, but especially when when you see Christians reading the Old Testament, what are they missing? What are they getting wrong? What what is being lost? So, I can respond in two ways. I can respond from a an Orthodox Jewish perspective, and I can respond from my perspective. How about let's um, do both? Yeah. So from an Orthodox Jewish perspective, it's that the majority of things that occur within the Old Testament um, did occur. Um, And the interpretations that Christians have regarding them uh, are correct. Um, But when it comes to the actual moral and philosophical teachings, uh, they can be distorted. Um, When Christians say things like, uh, they, they 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 point to texts in in Genesis, or they, or they point to uh, texts in uh, the Book of Moses that say, you know, uh, marriage is between a man and a woman, and slavery is okay, mm. and uh, you know, owning people and 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 having multiple wives is okay. Uh, from a ultra orthodox perspective, yeah. That's right. It's 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 strictly by the text, and there really isn't that much lost um, in the trans- translation uh, from Hebrew to to English or from Amoraic to English. Um, not that much lost. But when it comes to the to the moral and philosophical teachings, um, things that go deep into Kabbalah or the mystical um, understanding of the Bible, um, they're not brought up at all. Mm. Um, things that delve into well, yes, Orthodox uh, individuals believe that Adam and Eve did exist. They believe that they did have relations with one another and their children had relations with them uh, to create humanity. Um, it is it is the true Orthodox belief that that, that it ha- actually occurred. Um, but when you go down deeper into uh, Jewish light or modern Orthodox, or conservative, or conservative, or reform, or secular Judaism, you get more and more, um, it, it, it becomes more 
of a these things didn't actually occur, but they 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 mean things. They they're ways that you can look at history and ways that you should look at living your life through a lens that occurred 3,000 years ago, mm-hmm. through a lens that makes sense for that time. Um, but to tell you the truth, when it comes to what uh, you know, modern Christians believe, when it comes to the Old Testament and what you know, serious Orthodox Jewish individuals believe, mm-hmm. it's not that far off. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, when you get deeper into the smaller Jewish communities, um, or sorry, the larger Jewish communities like conservative, conservative Judaism, um, it's, uh, it's less factually based and more philosophically and moralistically based. Hmm. And, and so I want to get to the Max perspective too in a moment. Um, but one of the things I know, especially being raised around evangelical Christianity, there's this belief that the Bible you know, Old and New Testament, are simply the spoken words of God. You know, meaning Mm. that, like, almost whoever wrote them down were some sort of an avatar for God, that he just had them write his words or whispered softly in their ears to tell them what to write down. Um, And one of the things that's been formative for me is to begin to realize that these are books written by different people during different times with different angles on what they were dealing with and everything else like that. Um, but if you were to ask most evangelical Christians, this is, you know, it, it, it's, it's completely 100% the word of God. How, how, how would like, especially growing up Orthodox, like how do you view the separate books? Um, yeah. It, it, mainly speaking towards the old Testament, like, you know, how do you view the differences in opinions, the differences in viewpoints from book to book? Uh, that's a really interesting question. Um, well, when it comes to separating um, the the distinct portions of, of the Bible or the Torah, um, in Judaism you have the the Oral Torah, and you, which you know com- is comprised of the, the, the Mishnah and the Gemara, which come together to make the Talmud. Um, and you have the Written Torah. Um, so so laws and 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 belief systems and thoughts and philosophical concepts and re- religious roles and prayers and customs and all these things that you're supposed to do that are within the Old Testament. They're either orally given from God to Moses and then from Moses to the people, or they're textually given um, from actually being written uh, in when they were conceptualized by God. Um, so there's, the distinction between them is, is pretty strong, um, but the actual contents aren't really that different. Gotcha, gotcha. So what is the a brief version of the Max version? Of, 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 of how you were talking about, you know, earlier you were giving me the orthodox version right. of, yeah. <clears throat> My belief is that these texts are indeed thousands of years old. We know they are, um, but they're just written uh, from a small community of people that needed some signal in life and needed you know, some way to, to, to separate their belief from what they thought was reality from the larger polytheistic, you know, belief systems of the time. So they felt as though God existed. 
they felt as though they had these experiences and they you know, obviously stretched the truth uh, for quite a lot of it. I'd say more than half of it. Um, we do know that quite a lot of things that actually occur within the Torah did exist. We do know um, that, you know, the second temple was destroyed. We do know that, you know, Jews were, you know, slaves in Egypt. We don't know that there was a mass exodus. There's no evidence for things like that. Um, so I, I take everything that you know, was, was in, that's within the Torah, within, within the Tanakh, within the Talmud, within, you know, the Haggadah, um, as stories based on some factual events, but uh, most of them uh, made up. Mm. When it comes to, for example, my status as a, as a Kohen, no, I don't think that I'm really, you know, the uh, the great, 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 whatever, grandson of, of Aaron. Um, but I do know through DNA analysis that I am the great, great, great grandson of some individual who a small portion of the Jewish population are as well. And we're all related. And you could find the genetic markers in our DNA that show that we're all related. Um, so he may not have been Aaron, but he was somebody. And he was probably somebody pretty freaking important. Well, Max, uh, as we start to wrap this up here, um, what what continues to draw you back to these religious communities? Good question. Um, as as someone that would kind of self-identify, I guess as as a loner. Um, or, or a to to be a little more politically correct, I'd say an, an introvert. Um, the true communities that evolve out of congregations, from, from a religious standpoint, are incredibly powerful. The connections that you can form, the people that you can meet, um, the opportunities that you can get, occupationally, emotionally, relationship-wise, are absolutely massive being able to walk into a place just like you know you can walk into a church and you know hopefully feel connected um it's hard to do that you know as as, as a jew um i transitioned from uh you know hebrew school and being in a private school with 90 percent other jews to being in a public school in the inner city where i was one of the only white jews there um so feeling a need to to belong in when, when you're obviously feeling you know secluded and, and not accepted is super important. Um, and I even feel it now as I move to the, you know, the South and the Bible Belt, where I do need to feel as though I'm with similar kind. People that I, you know, can can talk about my feelings when it comes to, you know, the holidays and not be laughed at or spit upon or, mm. you know, stabbed or, or yelled at um, because I have a different belief. You know, feeling connected and feeling as though you belong to a community is incredibly important for one to maintain their identity and their state of mind. Um, and without it, I would be really distraught without Judaism in general, even though I'm a secular Jew without it, I would have almost no identity. I identify more as a Jew than I do anything. Hmm. And it, it, it permeates through my, my mannerisms, through my language, through my relationships, through my, through my, uh, way of speaking, through my likes of food, through my appreciation of media, every single thing that is about me is related to the fact that I grew up Jewish. Um, and I think a lot of other, you know, Jews, especially from the New York kind of uh, tri-state area can, can see to that. It never leaves you. 
you know, like they say, you're, if you have a Jewish mother, you're born to be a Jew. You are a Jew. Even if you convert, you know, to Christianity, religiously, you're still a Jew and you can never leave it. Uh, and I don't think I ever will be able to. Well, that's it this week. And just wanting to wish everybody a happy and safe 4th of July. And as a reminder, as we end this broadcast, you can always catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. And I'll catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Aqueduct Conference Center was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com. <laughs>